This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Welcome. This is Ascent Dental Solutions. You're listening to Dr. Kevin Coughlin, where Ascent Dental Solutions is focused on knowledge, education, development, and training. I want to give special thanks to Mr. David Wolf. Without his expertise, these podcasts would not be possible. And I also like to give sponsors some credit for Henry Shine and Patterson Dental and Vocal Dental Supplies for providing the expertise that helps our practice grow day in and day out. Today, we have a special guest. We're dealing with practice sales consultants at Practice Exchange. They're a company that's well-known nationally and internationally. And um, my guest today is Ryan Kelly. And basically, practice sales consultants are helping dentists, which is my area of expertise, buy and sell practices throughout the United States. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Kelly. Ryan, thanks so much for taking time today to be on today's podcast. Give us a little background about your company for some of the listeners who may not be familiar uh, with your services and your company. Hi, Kevin. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to get into all this, kind of talk about the industry. But uh, quickly about our company, Practice Exchange, um, we've helped over 3,000 dentists and optometrists sell their practices. Uh, We do this on both the dental and optometry world. Uh, We have over 30 years of experience doing it. And as you said, we do it on a national scale. So anybody looking to buy or sell a dental practice, we'd be happy to speak with you anytime. Uh, We think we can help you. And uh, we think we're pretty good at what we do. Well, I happen to know your company personally. And normally I do not have anybody on my podcast that I don't, what I call BLT, believe, like, and trust. And your company has an excellent reputation. And uh, that's why you've been in business for 30 years. Can you give a little summary of, in your opinion, what sets your company apart from other companies in similar businesses? If you were to summarize it, what do you think makes your company stand apart? That's a great question. I think the the main thing, it's relatively simple, relatively simple answer is uh, we want to keep practices private for the most part. What that means is we're kind of looking at the practices that we sell where we're kind of looking to sell them to an individual more often than not, rather than to a DSO. Um, oftentimes the brokers, which, which is where we operate and where the broker in this situation, uh, 
they get circumvented by the DSOs for all like the practices that are, you know, doing over a million in gross that are that ideal practice for a, for a DSO. So what sets us apart is, you know, we like to work with, with the doctors who really care about the patient care and care about their legacy. Uh, doctors who are looking to sell their practice, make, make a good payout, but they're, they're more interested in making sure that their patients are taken care of and um, they kind of hand select the candidate. We present multiple candidates to them and they kind of hand select the person who's going to take over their practice. So that's kind of how we try to differentiate ourselves, make it more of a personal choice for the selling doctor. Ryan, in the last five to 10 years, have you seen more and more growth in uh, a DSO or an MSO? And for some of our new listeners, you may not know it, but in full disclosure, I was a DSO. I started my company over 35 years ago, and we grew it to approximately 17 dental practices. And we sold to a managed service organization. So in my definition, a managed service organization is slightly different than a dental service organization because in a managed service organization, they're backed by venture capitals. The money is coming from a venture capital. The venture capital companies have grown and made an investment. And generally over a three to a seven year period, they're looking to sell their managed service organizations to a larger uh, venture capital group. And a DSO is basically a group of dentists that practice, they own their practice, and they're trying to grow. But to get to the real question, do you see these MSOs and DSOs growing at exponential rate? Do you see them suffering? Do you see them stagnant? What's your uh, spin on this situation? Oh, absolutely. The answer would be absolutely. I see them growing and they're growing fast. Uh, my take on it is the reason why it's happening is there, there's so much money being poured in to the industry. You know, I, I'm happy that you pointed out the venture capitalists. You know, once they realize the, um, the return on investment that some of these dental practices were, were yielding, uh, the money kind of started pouring in. And um, yeah, the, the way that they um, acquire each other is what I find very interesting. So a doctor could sell their practice to a DSO and let's say 2010, and then in 2015, now they have a new boss. And, you know, they sold it at 55, now they're 60, and now they have to have, first, as if it wasn't hard enough to start having a boss at 55, now they have a boss at 60, a new boss at 60. So I think that's really interesting. But to answer your question, absolutely, they're growing. Uh, they're growing, you see them popping up all over the place. And um, I mean, it's it's a practical option for, um, a dentist selling their practice. I won't argue that. Makes sense that it's um that they're growing at the rate they are. I just think that the patient care at these establishments, for the most part, I don't I mean I'm generalizing here, uh, it does diminish at a little bit when you start talking about um, the DSOs. What's your take on that? Do you, would you agree with that? Well, I hate the bastards, okay? But to be perfectly honest with you, I'm a hypocrite because when I reached a certain size, it became clear that the most logical exit strategy for me was an MSO. Mm -hmm. They reached out, they're excellent at sales and communication. And in my personal opinion, I actually thought the uh, first MSO that I dealt with uh, Whatever they said, they delivered. They, mm -hmm. When they promised something, they came through. 
And uh, to say anything less with my own personal experience would be, uh, be a mistake. But the strategy is generally once they reach a certain EBITDA, once they reach a certain earnings before taxes, depreciation, and amortization, they're now out of that business and they're selling and taking the money off the table. And I wasn't smart enough or I didn't fully understand it or perhaps I was just jaded by the big return of anywhere from three to 10 times uh, an EBITDA. So if your company's got a $100 EBITDA and somebody offers you $1,200, it's hard to say no. But the bottom line is, from a strategic standpoint, within 18 months, that managed service organization was out of the game and sold to a bigger managed service organization, which meant, just as you alluded to, new potential bosses, new owners, new strategies, new direction, new uh, ideas. But the bottom line is, once the larger MSO reaches a certain EBITDA, they're going to sell to a even larger MSO. So I think for our listeners who are considering selling their practice and maybe aren't as concerned with the legacy or they're not concerned as much as how their patients are going to be treated, I think they should understand that in most cases, these managed service organizations have a time frame of about three to seven years. And depending on that doctor's age, they may have multiple transitions uh, because their strategy is create the biggest profit possible and then unload it to another venture capital group that has the funds and the expertise for bigger business. What I like to say is there's the group that focus on, let's say, from 10 million to 60 million. And then they have a group of friends that focus on roughly from 75 million to 150 million in revenue. And then they have a group of friends that go from 175 to 500 million. And then you got another group that's 500 million to a billion. And then you've got uh, the big enchilada that focuses over a billion. And they all seem to know each other and they're looking at doing it. So my thought process is with a company like yours, with that expertise, how do you work through these issues that are in the the dental community. When a client comes to you and says to you, Ryan, I have an offer from Dr. Jones and I have an offer from this MSO. How do you uh, design it, structure it? How do you recommend that those dentists prepare for this? Let's just say we focus in on the transition of the dentist trying to sell their practice. We can talk a little later about buying practices, but let's talk about the selling of the practice. All right, so I'm gonna start it off by saying this. In terms of the practices that we're talking about, we're talking about, let's say, quote unquote, elite practices, practices that are grossing at least 750,000 in, in most cases in north, north of that number. Um, and there's a limited supply of those practices. So, you know, we, we talk to doctors all, all day, every day. Uh, you know, there's a lot of practices that are like grossing under $500,000 nationwide. And, you know, th- these practices aren't really uh, what these DSO and MSOs that we're speaking about are interested in. They're kind of looking at 
they're centraled in on practices grossing between, let's say, 750000 and $1.25 million, for argument's sake. So when we're talking to a, when a doctor approaches us, we start, we begin conversating with them and they, they start talking about those numbers. We level with them right away. We tell them what we're about. We tell them what their op- options are. And then we offer them a free appraisal. Uh, we'll give them an, we'll give them an appraisal and we're like, this is what we think we can get you for the practice. With that being said, Dr. Joe, to be honest with you, if you do a little bit of research, you'll, you'll come to find out that a DSO will pay you more than this number that we're saying. And it's just a simple fact. They pay premium prices. And um, that's kind of where our company has been going in the direction of keeping things private because we have found that it's kind of unfair to the dentist who's 30 years old, dying to buy a practice, but wants to buy an established practice. They don't want to buy a practice where they have to grow it. They want to buy a practice that's turnkey and then that's where we're able to come in and help them out. But in terms of when we we're talking to a, an individual about selling their practice, we level with them right away, whether or not they'd be a candidate for the private equity is how we like to go about talking about it. Because um, it's, you know, there's a limited supply of those practices. And uh, I'm sure like uh, when you were acquiring practices over the years, you kind of know um, when a practice is that quote unquote elite caliber. Ryan, when you're doing this appraisal for potential customers, just to speed up and make your company and your life easier, if you had a checklist, what would be, let's say, the five or 10 items that would just make your job so much easier if the dentist listening to this podcast could simply say, I'm thinking about maybe doing something over the next couple of years. I want to get my books in order. I want my accounting order. How can I come up with a spreadsheet to show uh, your company exactly what they need to make an appraisal that's accurate and fair, not only to the seller, but to the buyer? Okay. So, you know, when you start talking about the appraisal, I mean, there, there, there are a variety of ways I could go in answering this question, but just to answer the appraisal part first is an appraisal essentially comes down to the cash flow, the future cash flow. Uh, when you're dealing with these banks, um, you know, we like to get 100% bank financing on, on our deals so that the seller gets paid in full. So when you're dealing with these banks, they're only going to finance the deal if their underwriters are saying that it's cash flowing. So the appraisal is based on um, ascertaining what the practice would cash flow in year one of operation. So by doing that, we look at the last three years of tax returns. Uh, we do it based on three years because you know, you know better than anybody, value of a practice is volatile based on the patients going there and replicating the revenues. So we do it based on the last three years of tax returns. Then we also take a look at the depreciation schedule of the, of the practice. We can get a tangible asset uh, value. And then um, well, we put it through a three-method valuation process, and it, it pops out a cash flow number. And kind of based on this cash flow number, we're able to uh, come up with the price. You know, um, if you're going to spend a million dollars on a practice, most doctors want to make at least north of 250000 in their first year of ownership. And the banks want to see that the practice cash flow is at that same number. Let's say it doesn't cash flow at that number. Maybe it sells for $850,000. And now the practice is cash flowing at a number sufficient to getting the bank financing. Uh, 
Am I, am I making sense with, with that? Uh, you're making sense to me. I just want to make sure that our listeners understand it. Mm-hmm. What I was probably pushing you more towards is, let's say uh, Dr. Coughlin is selling his practice tomorrow and I'm hiring you for your expertise and knowledge. Do you want to know what the hygiene revenue is compared to the dental revenue? Do you want to know what uh, the leases are? Do you want to know what the payroll is, what the profit sharing? Because I assume when you come up with a cash flow, you've got to decipher from an accounting standpoint that if my country club has been run through the business, my dry cleaners has been run through the business, my car has been run through the business, my vacations have been run through the business, that has a serious effect on cash flow. And now that that potential seller wants to sell, they really want to get those things off the books or make sure they are really notarized so that it shows the best cash flow picture possible so that I know once I get the 100% bank financing, I have enough income uh, to live a life and still pay debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I should have clarified a little bit more than when I was talking about the cash flow. Uh, for us to figure out the cash flow, you were you spot on, Kevin. Uh, we do have to go through with the selling doctor and find um, personal expenses that are put through the business. You know, um, most business owners do that type of thing. They put their car through the business. A variety of different personal expenses can go through the business. But what we do is we we add all those back to the restated net income. So just to clarify, all those are accounted for in um, that cash flow number that pops out. Uh, to go on to what you were speaking about, um, percent of hygiene versus percent of uh, what the doctor is producing, you know, it, it it can be very telling about a practice. Let me, let's say a practice is doing 40% hygiene, 60% doctor work. A young buyer might be like, oh, there's a lot of dentistry to be done here. Um, if a practice is doing, let's say 25% hygiene, 75% production is coming from the dentist, uh, a young buyer might be like, oh, this practice is kind of peaking. It's uh, pretty much at its peak. Those are kind of measuring parameters that we like to look for. Uh, we obviously will ask, you know, total number of active patients. That's important. But I wouldn't feel comfortable giving you a number on what we look for there just because every demographic presents a different situation for, for that. Ryan, by definition in your company, uh, Practice Exchange, what do you, uh, what's your definition of an active patient? They've been in six months, 12 months, 18 months, or 24 months. What's your particular definition that you use? Uh, we do 24 months, and that's coming from the banks that we work with. That's what they ask us for. So that's why we use 24 months. So for the listeners out here who may be a little more naive than uh, myself and Ryan, that patient list is important because that prospective buyer wants to know, has the patient been in and how come they haven't been in in two years? Do you have a weak recall, a weak marketing system? Uh, Are people falling through the cracks? And uh, basically it it can be a good predictor of potential hygiene revenue. Uh, Any other things that you would like to add, Ryan? Because I wanna say that one, I know of your company personally and your reputation. 
I personally have not heard anyone that's dealt with your company that's been dissatisfied. And after 30 years in business and over 3,000 uh, dental and optometry practices sold, you obviously know what you're doing. I want to thank you so much. But before we uh, end this, can you tell people the best way to reach you? A phone number, a website, uh, or your personal cell number so that they can come out and talk to you uh, directly uh, for uh for answers and potentially a free appraisal of, of their practice. Yeah. So um, first and foremost, the easiest way is ju is uh, just to Google practice exchange. Uh, we'll pop up right in the top and then you can uh, request a free appraisal through there. Our 800 number is 800-786-1389. Uh, my personal cell is 401-378-1036. Uh, I would appreciate any prank calls be held off on the weekends. And then uh, besides that, I mean, you can kind of reach out to us anytime. Uh, we'd be happy to speak with you. And I really do appreciate the way that uh, you speak about our company, Kevin. Uh, that's, that's very, those are some very kind words. And uh, we do appreciate that. And we pride ourselves on our reputation. So uh, thank you for that. Well, thank you. I know how busy you are. And this is a very turbulent time for the dental profession, but uh, I can't, Thank you enough for your expertise. For our listeners, you've been listening to Dr. Kevin Coughlin. This is Ascent Dental Solution with a focus on knowledge, education, training, and development. I want to again thank Mr. David Wolf. Without his expertise, these podcasts wouldn't be available. And I also want to thank our sponsors, Patterson Dental, Henry Schein, and Vocal. Day in and day out, they make my dental practice, and I'm sure your dental practices, the best they can be. Without their expertise and training, we'd all be behind a rock and a hard place. Thanks again for listening, and this has been Dr. Kevin Coughlin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.